0: Good morning, everyone. Great to be with you. Uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. And we will pick up there in a moment. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10. We are continuing in our series called Restoration in the Church. In which we are uh, analyzing and lamenting the decline of the, West, of the church in the Western world. While at the same time asking, God, uh, what would it look like to see restoration in your church across the Western world? To see the church on fire again. Uh, flourishing as God intended. Poised to usher in the next revival that our culture needs so badly. Uh, over the last few weeks, we've examined several trends or patterns that threaten the Western church, and this morning, we'll continue by looking at another potential pitfall uh, that, can, that we need to avoid in order to have a healthy, vibrant church, and that is the danger of dead works. We pick up in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10, Paul writes this, He says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, Their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through flames. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you now and I pray very simply that you would wake us up. Lord, it is so easy in our sort of busy, scattered, uh, digitally distracted, frantic uh, lives, this this scramble for uh, the American dream, all of that stuff. Lord, we can be distracted into oblivion, we can be lulled to sleep in a sense as we go through life. Uh, Don't let us wait until our deathbeds or later to wake up as to how we are to live in the world. Lord, do it this morning. Wake us up, shake us awake if you have to and show us what we should do with the very limited hours that we have. Lord, a lot of us in the room are young If we live to the average uh, age in America, we have decades out front, and and it can just feel, uh, we can become so detached and, and forget that life is fleeting, that today matters, that this year matters, and that life is incredibly short. You say it's a vapor, it's a mist, it's passing away in the blink of an eye. God, help us to, to take hold of it, to live in light of eternity, to live as we ought with our eyes wide open. We pray these things in the power of your spirit and in Jesus' name, amen. When you die and the things of this world fade away, you will stand before God and given an accounts of your life. If you have trusted in Jesus, you will not face judgment the way the rest of the world is going to face judgment. Because Jesus took our punishment and he took the weight of our judgment upon himself at the cross, we can now stand freely before the Father fully accepted. There's there's no fear of condemnation. There's no fear of judgment in the classic sense. We will not face judgment as the world does, but we will be assessed. God will examine the life that we've lived before him, and we will be rewarded based on the life that we've lived. In fact, the last recorded words of Jesus at the very end of your Bible, final verses, last page, start with these words. Jesus says, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. How will we be assessed? Well, Paul tells the Corinthians it will be with fire. At the end of the age, we will appear before God, and there's almost a sense in in which uh, our life, our works, the fruit of our labor will be there with us as we stand before him. And Paul says our work will be shown ...for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames." So the question is, how do we know? We're all living our lives before God right now. How do we know what will be burned up and what will survive and be worthy of eternal reward? If you trust in Jesus, you're saved either way. Paul makes that very clear in the passage. You will enter the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. We will be there celebrating together. But the question is, will you enter with a great reward as Jesus hopes and intends? Or uh, will you enter as one escaping out of the fire as your life's work goes up in flames behind you? How do we know? Well, the difference that is being described here. I believe, is the difference between a living work and a dead work. A living work is something that survives, that makes its way into the kingdom, and is worthy of eternal reward, and a dead work goes up in flames. And I would define them this way. A living work is something that's done in faith, in obedience to Jesus, It usually bears fruit, though those biblical examples and real life examples where they don't, and it will merit eternal reward. A dead work is something done without faith, out of religious duty or obligation, or even ulterior motives, self-promotion and the like, that usually doesn't bear fruit and is destined to go up in flames. And the reason this is so pertinent to the series that we're in right now is that not only does this make a difference for you as an individual and your experience of eternity, but it also makes a difference in the here and now between a living church and a dead church. We all know and have experienced uh, the difference between churches that feel vibrant and full of life, and churches that feel dead and empty. What's the difference between the two? Well, we've been talking about a lot of factors through the course of this series, but sometimes the difference is that living churches are engaged in living work, and dead churches are engaged in dead work. And so we need to stop as part of our annual vision series and take a moment to assess ourselves, uh, to examine ourselves before the Lord, to do a little soul searching. Are we the type of people who are engaged in living works or dead works? Because uh, that will ultimately determine the life and vitality of our church. Uh, How do I know that I'm engaged in something that's a living work? Well, first off, if you're taking notes, a living work is something that's done in faith. When you read the Bible cover to cover, faith is a living thing. In fact, you could argue that faith is the number one thing that Jesus is attempting to get into his disciples. And so as we examine our lives and our kingdom activity before God, you can ask yourself this morning of any activity that you're doing for the sake of the kingdom, Am I doing this with a sense of faith, with a sense of expectation? Because if I'm not, it very quickly becomes a dead work. So we can ask ourselves, hey, why am I serving the homeless? Why am I a foster parent? Why do I serve as a kids leader on Sunday? Why do I come to a Sunday gathering at all? Is there some sense of faith or expectation attached to it? Or is it something done out of empty religious obligation? Well, I I serve the homeless because it sounds like the good Christian thing to do. I don't really like homeless people. But it is what it is. Well, I serve as a kids' leader on Sunday because they made a desperate announcement and said we need more kids' leaders on a Sunday. Many. I personally think kids are kind of annoying and kind of smelly. But they said they needed, so I I guess I'll just do it. Somebody ought to. It sounds like the good Christian thing to do. I come every Sunday morning Not with any real sense of faith, but because that's what we've always done. What else would I do on a Sunday morning? And a lot of that may sound harmless, but I think that's actually the sound of dead works. Whenever someone says, well, I ought to, or I have to, or I should, or it's the good Christian thing to do, or it's just what we've always done. A little alarm bell should go off in our minds. Whoa, 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 wait a second. What do you mean by that? What do you mean you ought to, or you have to, or it's just somebody should do it, so I will? It's just what, what, what do you mean by that? Because often if you dig a little deeper, what you'll find is the person engaged in that activity has no sense of faith regarding that activity. And you can ask these other questions as well. Is this something that Jesus is calling you to? Well, no. Not really. I mean, I haven't really heard from him on this. It just sounds like the good Christian thing to do. Okay, so Jesus didn't call you to do this and you have no sense of faith or expectation surrounding it. Do you really think it's going to bear fruit? Well, no, not really, but I still ought to do it. Okay, that. That's a dead work. This is one of the ways that death creeps into a church. Because we're doing things that we think we ought to do with no sense of faith or expectation, and it's not bearing any fruit, and we just keep doing it anyhow. If you go down that road... For a year or two or 10 or 50, eventually you have an atmosphere that is dead. And those churches die as well. Sometimes we we start things that are living works. They were good and Jesus called them to do it when we started. And then over time, they actually become a dead work. We just keep going and going and going. And, and so we have to kind of stop and, and assess our lives before him this morning. That time comes when we have to just bring the, the, all of our kingdom activity before him and say, is this something I'm going to continue in without faith and expectation and calling and fruit, or will we chop it down? Every person, every church has to decide. Several years ago, when we first planted this church, it was almost entirely college students and, uh, and it was growing very quickly in the beginning. And so I was contacted by uh, an older denominational church here in Spokane uh, that was looking to sort of reinvent themselves a bit. And they said, hey, you've, you've just started a church and it's full of young people and we don't have any young people at our church, and we want to reinvent ourselves a bit, Uh, would you come to these meetings that we're going to have? We're going to just kind of pray and brainstorm and and figure out what we can do to change and and reinvent ourselves a bit as a church. Uh, And so in this church, the backstory is uh, it peaked at around 1,000 people here in Spokane decades ago, and uh, over the course of 40, 50 years, it had dwindled from 1,000 people down to 20 people. So 20 people left, and 10 out of those 20 were the council that like, runs the church. And so they said, hey, we're ready to make some changes. I said, I'm happy to come and participate in those meetings. And I was mostly there just to just to listen, just to pray for them and to listen and to hang out. But after hours of meetings and brainstorming and praying and talking through stuff, uh, finally, all of the people in this meeting came to an agreement. Hey, we all agree on the first thing that we want to change in the church. The organ music. They had uh, classic hymnals, which I didn't grow up Christian, so I don't even know how to use a hymnal, but they had these, these old hymnals and this giant organ that's like three stories tall, and they kind of did the same songs and the same liturgy they've been doing for decades, and they said, you know what? We don't get a lot out of the music anymore. We have a sense that new people who come to visit don't get a lot out of the music. We're ready to change our worship music. And everyone, all 18 of the people who were there agreed, awesome, let's do that. But then they hit a wall. Because one of the two people that weren't at the meeting were Bill, was Bill, uh, the organ player. And Bill had been playing the organ at the church for 50 years. So first off, way to go, Bill, okay? (laughs) Like, for your faithfulness, like, my goodness, that is amazing. But then everybody started talking and said, we actually aren't going to be able to do this because nobody wants to talk to Bill about changing the music. We think it would hurt his feelings. So we're not going to change, and in my mind, I'm like, Bill's probably exhausted, like, let him go, like, he's going to rejoice when you tell him. No, they wouldn't. They wouldn't do it. They were like, no. And then they all kind of went back into deliberations, said, you know what? We changed our mind. We're just going to keep the music. We're going to keep what we're doing, same music, kind of same liturgy, same stuff that we've been doing uh, for 50 years, and uh, we'll just see how it goes. Uh, And there was a sense as, as a third party in the room of just thinking like, okay, is that bearing fruit? No. Everyone in the room agreed, no, it's not. Okay, Uh, do you have any sense of faith or expectation surrounding that? No. Is it something that Jesus is calling you to do? No. That's a dead work. You are continuing in a dead work. It's an I thought, we ought, stick to the routine. It's what we've always done. And then Jesus comes in and he says, How do y'all guess what? The axe is already at the foot of the tree. And any tree that doesn't bear fruit, I chop it down. And the disciples kind of gasp in horror. Oh, wait, no, 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 Jesus, please. Wait. Give it another year. Dig up the soil around it. Give it some fertilizer. Give it one more chance. And, and, and he's got the axe raised. You know what a fig tree is in the Gospels? It is a symbol of the religious establishment. It says it doesn't bear fruit. Curse it. Kill it. Chop it down. It's done. And then in his mercy, he says, okay. Okay, we'll get one more year. You make some changes, give it another year, and we'll see what happens. In the words of Terry Virgo, there is not a hint of nostalgia in our Lord Jesus Christ. He isn't interested in dead works. He's not interested in routine or tradition. If it's dead, chop it down. Get it out of here. Is it bearing fruit? Forget it. I want, I want a living church. Tr- he died for the church. He, he wants a living, vibrant church. None of this we ought, we should, it's the good Christian thing to do. We've always done it this way. No. If it's dead, he says, chop it down. It's done. And it's easy for us to hear about organ music and old liturgy and chuckle to ourselves. But let me ask you this. What is your expectation when you come in here on a Sunday? What do you expect to happen? Well, a few nice songs, a thought-provoking sermon, a few more songs, maybe some coffee, and then we go home. Okay. Do you have any sense of, of faith or expectation surrounding our gatherings on a Sunday morning? What do we expect God to do? Do you come in with this expectation that he's going to speak and move and transform and save and heal and gifts of the Spirit will be active in the body? Do do we have a sense that God's going to show up? Well, no, not really. Okay then why are you coming? It's just a good Christian thing to do. It's what we've always done. I ought to. I have to. Really? Because that sounds to me like a dead work. or in danger of becoming one. If we aren't coming in here with a sense of faith and expectation, and it's not bearing fruit, it's done. If worship through music isn't bearing fruit, we're not going to worship through music. If me speaking up here on a Sunday isn't bearing fruit, I'm going to stop talking. If it's not bearing fruit, chop it down. If we are coming into Sunday gatherings with no fruit, no faith, no sense of expectation, then what the heck are we doing? it becomes pointless. It becomes empty. It becomes a dead work. Jesus says it this way. He says, I am the true vine. Which sounds really nice. We love this part. We love to quote this part. Not so much the next line. He continues. He says, I am the vine and my father is the gardener. Wait, wait, what? He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does, not, that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. He comes along and, and he walks among the lampstands, so to speak, like in the book of Revelation. He walks among the churches that he died for and he says, if it's dead, chop it down. And if it is bearing fruit, chop it a little bit. We're going to prune it. It's still going to be painful, but it will bear even more fruit. We can look across Western Europe and, and even now growing parts of America and see old church buildings, that are libraries and apartments and bars and, and whatever else. And we can say, isn't that sad that Satan shut all those churches down? I'm not sure he has the authority to do that. No, it's Jesus is the one pictured walking among his churches. He says, if it's not bearing fruit, I will chop it down. Are you engaged in living things? or in dead things. And often in his mercy, he will let churches persist in dead things for decades before he removes the lampstand, so to speak. And so what we're doing this morning and really through this series is, if I could sum up this series in a word, it would be pruning. We chop out the stuff that's dead We don't want anything to do with dead things. And what is bearing fruit, we we prune it back. We strip it back to its foundations and then we build it again even better than it was before. God tells the prophet Jeremiah, I love these words. He says, I've given you authority to build up and tear down, to uproot and to plant. That's the type of stuff that he does for the sake of his kingdom. And so we're doing this uprooting and stripping back and planting and rebuilding because we want to bear fruit. As individuals, as a community, we want to be engaged in living works, not dead works. That's what we're doing this morning. We're pruning, we're recalibrating, we're bringing all of our kingdom activity before the Lord. And asking these questions. We'll close with this. Uh, First question to ask, Lord, am I currently engaged in dead works that need to be cut out? And for some of you, based on the way I've been describing these things, it'll be obvious, oh my gosh, that's just empty religious duty. There's no life in it. It's a dead work. It's done. Uh, Sometimes it's trickier than that. Some dead works are obvious. Some are not so obvious. As I mentioned before, sometimes things start as a living work and become a dead work over time and yet God is still calling us to cut those things out. Uh, I recently got invited to teach a three-day course uh, at a place called Adult and Teen Challenge which is an amazing, uh, amazing addiction recovery place. So you have all of these guys in their kind of late teens, early 20s, on up into their 40s who are um, recovering from addiction. The court has said you can take this route, which is a completely like gospel-saturated, Jesus-centered route to recovery. And so you come into this environment. And for me, it was electric because you've got all of these guys who are like hungry for Jesus. They're hungry for more of the spirit. Uh, We can get kind of lackadaisical in our faith, I think. For them, it's life or death. Like, they know it. They're like, either I'm gonna get this and walk with Jesus, or like, I will die somewhere on the street like it's and so you get this this hunger in that environment that was just electric and I was connecting with the guys over the course of these days and it was bearing fruit and I was having a great time and at the end of the third day one of the guys came up to me and he said can you like come and work here Uh, because we need this like every day and I thought wow Nobody at my church has ever said that before. <laughs> I was like, oh, that, that, this is amazing. Like, whoa, Lord, what are you doing? Uh, and, and at the end, one of the directors pulled me aside and was like, hey, we, you know, this course comes up once every two or three months. Would you commit to coming in and teaching these courses? And I said, absolutely. Like, this was amazing. I'm going to do it. So I went home happy. Uh, weeks started to go by. The next course started to come up. And uh, as I started praying over that, Lord, I'm praying over this opportunity, this next round of guys who's coming through. And as I was started praying through it and the course I was going to be teaching, I had this sense that I was way more excited about it than God was. It was just different. If something about it felt different than the, than the, the, the first time around. And so I, I kept praying into it and saying, well, Lord, like what? aren't you excited about this? Like, this is I had a great time. It's really fun. These guys are awesome. Like, it was, it was bearing fruit. And I just had this sense as I was praying through it from the Lord of saying, I didn't ask you to do that. To commit to that on a regular basis. And, and I, just, I kept praying in that, into that. And just, the more I prayed in, the more I realized, wait a second. This isn't what God's calling me to do. He said, would you you give it up? And, And that's a really critical moment in the life of any disciple because if you keep going after that point, it becomes a dead work. We can get really good at doing work for God without him. So I I gave that up. I said, okay, Lord, I'll give that up. I'll change course. And then comes the second question for us to contemplate this morning. God, I'm cutting out the dead stuff. Now, God, what are you calling me to do by faith in this season? Be a kids leader. Run slides. Plant a new church. Witness to my neighbors about you. Give generously to this kingdom venture that you've laid on my heart. Serve with young lives, who we heard from this morning. Adopt an Afghan refugee family, whatever, whatever it is. It says Jesus has prepared good works in advance for you to do. Do those. Do the ones that he has in mind that he's prepared in advance for you to do. Those are the ones that are going to bear fruit. Those are are the living works that, that will stand before him at the end of the age that we'll be rewarded for. When we stand before him at the end of the age, some of his disciples are going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You ran the race that I called you to run. And others are going to hear, hey, the gates are open. You're welcome here. I'm gonna give you a head start. And you should probably get going because all of this is about to go up in flames. Off you go. Better to wake up now and and live accurately in light of eternity. We'll end with this. These are the words of Jesus in the book of Revelation written for the church in Sardis but I believe they are words for the Western church in this moment. To the church in Sardis, Jesus says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your body broken. We thank you for your blood shed. We thank you for the incredible without-cost salvation that you are pouring out upon the earth. And as the writer in Hebrews reflected on that sacrifice, he said it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses our conscience from dead works, that frees us from dead works, to then be able to serve the living God. Lord, may we be found among those who are cleansed by your blood, whose sacrifice has actually released our conscience from dead works, who are not bound to the ought to and the should, and we've always done it, and what will people think if I don't? Lord, in your radical grace, we are free from that. We do not perform for others. We don't perform for ourselves. We have nothing to prove. We have a conscience cleansed of dead works. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for doing that, providing that for us, so that we can now at last go with excitement and joy and freedom and zeal and passion to serve the living God. You are the living God, the God of living things, not dead things. And so as we come before you this morning, Jesus, uh, I think it's safe for us to hear the loving rebuke you gave the church in Sardis, that we might receive that on behalf of the church in the Western world. Strengthen what is left. It's, dy- it's dying off. Would you Would you cut out what's dead, Lord? Would you prune back what is fruitful that it might bear even more fruit? Lord, we come before you with a sense of faith and expectation this morning. We believe that you are poised to move in incredible ways across the Western world. But it's gonna happen in partnership with churches that are yielded to you. As we sit now, Lord, as we contemplate, Holy Spirit, would you come in your love? Would you come in your mercy? Uh, Would you come to us who in, in some sense can be spiritually blind? And would you come alongside us as our helper, as our advocate, and just begin whispering to us, hey, see that thing over there? That's dead. That's dead now. You gotta let that go. You gotta chop that down. See this thing over here? I know you're afraid. I know you're afraid to take it on. I know you're afraid to step out, but this is living. This is a living thing. And if you'll risk with me and you'll step out, it's going to bear fruit. My kingdom's going to advance. We come to you now, Jesus, as we sit for a few minutes and contemplate these questions. Would you uh, stir these things in our hearts? Lord, for some of us in the room, maybe we're not engaged in dead works because we're We're not engaged in any works. And you're just saying, hey, here's something I want to call you to do by faith. Why don't you start here? We look to you now, Jesus. Would you come in the power of the Spirit and speak to us? In Jesus' name, amen.